Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Netflix stock tanking. It's after the company reported losing subscribers for the first time in 10 years. A massive California pension fund wants to kick Warren Buffett out of his chairman position at his own company. Why? President Biden offering bailouts to nuclear power plants struggling financially is part of his, quote, clean energy push. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Bad day for Netflix investors. Its shares are down 35% today, wiping $50 billion off the value of the company. As after the company's quarterly earnings showed it lost subscribers for the first time in over a decade, it says people who signed up during lockdowns are now dropping off, it's also blaming increased competition and password sharing. Are you responsible for Netflix stock tanking? CEO as a warning for you. When we were growing fast, it wasn't the high priority to uh, work on. And now we're working super hard on it. And, you know, remember, these are over 100 million households that already are choosing to view Netflix. They love the service. Uh, we just got to get paid. The 100 million he's talking about is the estimated number of households worldwide who are using a shared password. That's lost potential revenue for Netflix. But how are you going to break the news to your wife's friend's brother who's been sharing your account? Netflix is also considering a low-priced version of its service. That'll force you to watch ads. Might save you a few dollars, though. And CalPERS, America's largest state public pension fund, wants to kick Warren Buffett out of his chairman role at Berkshire Hathaway. Buffett founded Berkshire Hathaway. CalPERS says that he shouldn't be the chair of the board and the CEO at the same time. In the fake quarter. CalPERS, the country's largest state public pension fund, wants to remove Warren Buffett as the board chair of Berkshire Hathaway. Buffett is currently both chairman of the board and the CEO. I just think that's offensive. I think it's highly offensive. George C. is the chairman of Annandale Capital. C. says Warren Buffett built and owns Berkshire Hathaway, and he shouldn't be kicked out as chair of the board. That's why so many companies want to stay private these days. They don't want a public listing because they don't want to deal with all this nonsense that comes up from out outside shareholders. CalPERS says the CEO and chairman role are greatly diminished when one person holds both. The chair holds the most power in the board of directors, which makes major decisions for the company. This includes oversight of the executives. Meanwhile, the CEO is the top executive and manages the company's operations. It's not good corporate governance um, to have these dual roles, because what happens is that one person has all this power. Anat Alonbeck is a professor at Case Western Reserve University School of Law. She says many believe one person shouldn't hold both positions. We're supposed to have checks and balances, right? The board is the one that's supposed to supervise management, and the most senior manager is the CEO. The board has opposed the idea, and it's unlikely to go through because Buffett himself has 32 percent of the voting power. No one here wants to really mention the obvious regarding Warren Buffett and the uh, the sheer fact he's 91 years old. Don Kaufman is the co-founder of Theotrade, an online financial education service. Kaufman says Buffett's age is a far more significant concern. I think that there has to be a definitive answer to that question of not only just succession, but uh, carrying both the chairman position and the CEO position at his age, I think, produces a considerable amount of risk 
to the uh, to the underlying shareholders. Warren Buffett has run Berkshire Hathaway since 1965. He turns 92 in August. Bay Quarter and TD News. And also some internal conflict happening over at food delivery giant Grubhub. His parent company is trying to offload it just one year after buying it for $7 billion. Anthony's Phil Zoe has more on that. The Grubhub delivery app may be getting sold again. Its parent company, Just Eat Takeaway, based out of Europe, bought Grubhub just a year ago to beef up its operations in the U.S. But now, under pressure from investors, the two may have to part ways. Grubhub has especially been challenged over the past couple of years. Trevor Boomstra is an authority in restaurant practice, helping businesses improve profits and performance in over 20 countries. He's a director at Alex Partners, the global consulting firm. People are more price sensitive to spend, and now with the rates of COVID going down, people are wanting to go back into dining in the restaurants. Grubhub used to dominate the food delivery space, but in recent years, it's lost market share to fierce competitors. DoorDash and Uber Eats have been uh, increasingly successful in gaining market share. And they've done that through uh, expanding to different categories outside of traditional restaurants in working with more chain restaurants and getting exclusivity agreements. Just Eat Takeaway reported a 5% loss in takeout orders for Q1 in North America. Shares of the company jumped around 7% on the news it might sell Grubhub before simmering back down halfway, trading for $5.73 a share. Phil Zoe, NTD News. The Biden administration is launching a program to keep struggling nuclear power plants from shutting down due to rising costs. The energy secretary said they're using every tool available to get the United States powered by, quote, clean energy by 2035. Nuclear generates more than half of the country's carbon-free electricity, but 12 reactors have closed since 2013 in the face of competition from other energy sources. To qualify for the new program, the plants have to show that they're retiring for economic reasons and that emissions would increase if they did close. The first round of funding will prioritize reactors that have already announced they're going to close. The second round will focus on facilities that are at risk economically. The funding comes from last year's bipartisan infrastructure deal. So with this is former Texas State Representative Jason Isaac. He's now the director of Life Powered at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Jason, as always, thanks for coming on. Great to be on. Thank you for having me. Jason, you know, I heard that nuclear was the future. It's shocking that it would need billions of dollars from the government. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it was the future until people started demonizing it back in starting in the 70s. And, and now here we find ourselves, the government is having to step in and, and bail it out, essentially, because they've put so many policies in place that have uh, really discriminated against the production of new nuclear technology here in this country. It's uh, unfortunately our foreign competitors are beating in this in this area. What kind of policies? Well, the, the, the regulations that are around building new nuclear are uh, just atrocious. It takes multiple years and billions of dollars to get a new nuclear project off the ground. That's why there's only one project currently under construction in the United States that's building nuclear energy, the safest form of energy on the face of the earth, the safest form of electric production that we know. Uh, and only one new nuclear plant is being built right now, and it's already delayed and experiencing cost overruns. Out of these safety regulations, they're not justified. 
Uh, they're actually overburdensome. They take too long. Uh, it's just too much bureaucratic red tape. And unfortunately, it's become this mantra from the federal government to control every aspect in our lives, including the production of reliable, affordable electricity. Do you agree with subsidizing the nuclear plants? No, I agree with getting the government out of the way and getting rid of the overburdensome, uh, uh, overburdensome regulations, getting the bureaucratic red tape cut, and allow the free market to work. We've got to quit propping up one form of electric generation over another, allow the market to work. We'll have more competition. And every time we have more competition, the consumer wins, and the consumer will win with lower prices and more reliability. So on this point about competition, you're saying that these subsidies for wind and solar are making it so difficult for other forms of energy to compete like nuclear that they're actually going out of business? Yeah, it, wind gets 17 times the amount of solar or, or amount of subsidies that fossil fuel produced electricity does, and solar is 75 times the amount of subsidies that fossil fuel produced electricity generates, and that's including uh, tax write-offs, uh, and the production tax credits and the investment tax credits. So it's astronomical how much more benefit they get from the federal government. And that's why we're seeing a massive explosion of growth of wind and solar around this country. When they can't provide electricity when Americans need it the most, that's on demand, <clears throat> like natural gas, coal, and nuclear can. Uh, so it has completely distorted this market. Natural gas, clean coal, and nuclear technology can't compete. Jason Isaac, Life Powered. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. And despite concerns that rising mortgage rates would hurt home demand and lead to lower home prices, prices actually hit an all-time high in March. Maybe buyers are scrambling to secure loans before the mortgage rates take another jump. Or maybe the market is just super hot. The median existing home price was over $375,000. That's up 15% from a year ago. According to the National Association of Realtors, here's one for you. This marks more than a decade of year-over-year -year increases, the longest-running streak on record. Mortgage rates have also been on the rise since the beginning of this year. The latest average, now 5% and expected to rise. Make sure you get out and buy that home. And on Wall Street today, markets kind of mixed. NASDAQ weighed down by Netflix, which we talked about earlier. By contrast, the Dow driven higher by positive earnings from Procter & Gamble and IBM. The Dow rose 250 points, 7 tenths of a percent. S&P dropped 3 points, less than 1 tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 167 points, 1 and 2 tenths of a percent. Elon Musk will be happy to hear Tesla shares rose in after-hours trading. Just reported earnings after market. Its revenue up nearly 90% from the same period last year. But the Japanese yen is down 10% versus the dollar since the beginning of March. The Japanese central bank is intervening heavily in the country's bond market, much like the Federal Reserve was doing during the pandemic. It wants to keep bond yields low to spur consumers and businesses to borrow and buy more, hopefully stimulating the economy. This is inflationary, though, and appears to be seriously devaluing the country's currency. But kind of like the Federal Reserve, it has a choice to make. Keep devaluing the currency to spur the economy or tighten and risk a slowdown or recession. So with us is Chris Vecchio. He's a senior strategist with IG Group's Daily FX. Chris, it's always great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Just how serious is this for Japan? 
Well, this is a difficult situation that the Bank of Japan finds itself in. It's committed to its QQE program with yield curve control. They want to keep their 10-year bond yield uh, at or below 0.25%, and we're bumping up into that ceiling now. And it's a ceiling that they have to defend at all costs if they want to ultimately achieve their longer-term inflation target, which is part of the QQE program. That's 2% uh, inflation over a sustainable period of time. And right now, with the way that U.S. Treasury yields are moving, without a an overwrought commitment to buy unlimited bonds, uh, chances are that that 0.25% ceiling breaks. So the BOJ is throwing unlimited firepower at the situation right now. So explain that. Why is it so crucial that they keep bond yields low? Well, if the cost of borrowing goes up, that could really dampen consumption, can dampen uh, business investment, which in turn would have a negative impact on the BOJ's ability to sustain uh, higher levels of inflation. Unlike the West right now, United States, Canada, UK, Europe, um, Japan has seen relatively low inflation. Yes, it's at the highest level since October 2018, but it's only at 1.2% year over year. So this is a problem that Japan has faced for the past 30 plus years where they've been unable to see sustainable price growth. And in turn, that's led to a weaker pace of economic growth overall. So are you saying that Japan can endure this type of devaluation in their currency? They can right now. We just saw dollar-yen move above 129 for the first time since April 2002. And there is some talk that politicians in Japan really don't want to see the yen weaken any further from here. But the fact of the matter is they have to make a choice. Either they can sustain a weaker yen or they have to allow bond yields to rise. And from my perspective, the BOJ is committed to making sure that they can reach that 2% inflation. Therefore, bond yields can't rise, and thus the yen will remain weak. Uh, this chatter from the political class is going to remain intense over the next several weeks, so it shouldn't be surprised if we see additional two-way volatility in this yen market, particularly as dollar-yen trades around the 130 figure. How about businesses there? What do you think they want? Uh, I, I think this is a situation right now where businesses are enjoying a weaker yen because it provides them somewhat of an edge in the export arena. Uh, Japanese produced goods, manufactured goods, are relatively more appear appealing than those coming out of South Korea or China at present time. But it's only a matter of time before China allows their currency to weaken a little bit further from here, which would in help a part in part help, excuse me, uh, their ailing property sector, a weaker Chinese yuan would also boost their exports too. So Japan right now, it's not great for domestic consumers, but businesses that export a lot of goods abroad are finding this to be a favorable condition, at least in the very short run. You think the Bank of Japan are in control? You think they can tone it back when they need to? Uh, the Bank of Japan really hasn't been in control for 30 years. They've been effective in limited stretches over the past decade or so as they've implemented their various uh, yield curve control policies. The yield curve control policy came into effect September 2016. Uh, but right now, the BOJ is pushing against fairly strong headwinds. You have all these other major central banks that are pushing up interest rates rapidly. Inflation running rampant in many Western economies is forcing these central banks' hands. And so the BOJ is pushing against a very strong tide. It has to have a very strong commitment to keeping bond yields capped and ultimately sacrificing the yen if it does not want to lose credibility, lose face, uh, if you will, in this current environment. It's a difficult time to be a central banker no matter where you are in the world. Chris Vecchio, IG Group's Daily FX. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. In a sign the world may be slowly moving away from the U.S. dollar, Israel will add the Chinese yuan to its reserve holdings for the first time ever. 2% of its reserves will now be in yuan, the U.S. dollar, will make up 61%, down from 665 Three other currencies also making their debut. 
Bloomberg says it's Israel's biggest change to its allocation of reserves in over 10 years. Israel's currency mix did include the U.S. dollar, the euro and the British pound. Now, it'll also include the yuan, the Canadian and Australian dollars, as well as the Japanese yen. Israel's shift in the allocation of its holdings brings it closer in line with the rest of the world. But it's yet to invest in another of the main global reserve currencies, the Swiss franc. And a foreigner living under China's strict lockdowns says the country's pandemic prevention system is broken. He's being forced to go to a quarantine camp almost two weeks after testing positive. Indeed, Don Ma has the story. A German national living under Shanghai's lockdown says China's system, quote, sucks. He said it over a phone call with Chinese authorities. They left us here for 12 days, then they decided to take us. Then they send us back home after leaving us there in the cold for five hours. This is f***ing ridiculous. This is insane. Here's some context for what's going on. The German national tested positive for the virus on April 3rd. Then almost two weeks later, he gets transferred to a quarantine camp. Now keep in mind that in two weeks, most people would have already recovered. So he gets sent to the quarantine camp, but for some reason, authorities reject him. So he gets sent back home. And now, Shanghai authorities want to take him to the camp again. So he's refusing to go until he's retested. And get your boss, tell him I tell him he sucks, tell him the system sucks, tell him to send the CDC officer here and take a new test with me. Like they and then we can talk. Your system is the most ridiculous I've ever experienced in my entire life. My children at kindergarten are more organized than this crap here. It seems like he's not the only one experiencing this. He said in the phone recording that he knows of others that also went through the same thing. They leave us here with eight people, corona positive, for 15 days. We're all fine, and then they decide to take us? What sort of ridiculous rule is that? That's ridiculous. There is no logic to this. The recording of the call has since gone viral on Chinese social media platforms. The full recording of the call has also been posted on YouTube and Twitter. Don Ma, NTD News. Still to come this evening. Stay with us. BMW revealing its new electric sedan with a lot of bells and whistles. A tech company offering to implant a chip into your hand so your shopping spree will be more convenient. What are some of the concerns? That and more coming up in NTD Business. back. One of the largest U.S. banks, Goldman Sachs, is no longer offering free lunch or breakfast to workers. Free food was used by many Wall Street firms to lure workers back to the office during the pandemic. Now instead, Goldman says it's bumping up the dinner allowance for workers staying late at the office to $30. It's a $5 bump from before. According to financial blog Liquidity, Banks like Citi, Deutsche and Barclays offer a $25 allowance, while J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley offer $30 or more for dinner. 
And BMW is expanding its line of electric vehicles. Today, the luxury auto company revealed its latest all-electric car, the i7. The battery-powered vehicle is the brand's take on its most expensive sedan. The i7 has a starting price of over $119,000. BMW says the car can go at 300 miles in a full charge and has high-end features, like a high-resolution video screen that folds down from the roof so that those in the back seat can watch TV. If you do not want an electric vehicle, the same car can come with a gas engine. That version looks the same, but can cost a lot less depending on the engine you choose. And is it a hassle to find your wallet and phone every time you want to pay? How about implanting a credit card chip in your hand? Convenient, but one cybersecurity expert says he is terrified. Anthony's Evelyn Lee has more. Cyborgs are real, and many of them have microchips implanted, a controversial practice. WalletMore just made that tech more accessible. It created a payment microchip that can be implanted in your hand. Is it safe? Yeah, our implants are definitely 100% safe, both from a biosecurity perspective and also from a cybersecurity perspective. WalletMore says its implants are certified by the FDA and also passed restrictive tests from labs all over the world. Stephen Northam is the founder of Biotech. His company focuses on chips that help disabled people. But he says contactless payment could be a tipping point. The general public will start to jump on this type of tech as well. And that's a worry to some. I, I totally understand the marketability of it. I'm absolutely terrified of the security ramifications of it. Kareem Hijazi is a former contractor for the U.S. intelligence community and CEO of a cyber intelligence company. Opinions are very much divided. Despite what the press say about Bill Gates, COVID vaccines, this sort of wild speculation, microchip implants are by choice by individuals. If you want to have a chip implanted, you can. If you don't, you don't have to have one implanted. It's that simple. What if the optionality goes away? Now, have you built this, and I don't know that there's a way to do that, to be perfectly honest, to make this secure enough that if it is indeed mandated by some group, and by the way, all it takes is a catastrophic event or some compelling reason to mandate something. Currently, WalletMore's chips are only sold in the EU and UK. In a survey last year, 51% out of 4,000 surveyed said they would consider an implant. But safety concerns were still an issue for some of them. I have to believe that the whole point of the chip is so that it can emit some kind of information out from the individual to something, whether it be a reader or some sort of capturing utility. He compares it to a hotel room key. If you get close enough, you will unlock it. But WalletMore CEO says that all your data will be stored on the cloud and the chip is only the key. He says you could always delete the chip from your profile, like deleting a card from your bank account. Currently, a WalletMore implant costs $300, but Paproda says he wants to bring it down to $50. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. Here's something else straight out of a sci-fi movie. A doctor visited the International Space Station by a hologram. The telemedicine visit with NASA doctor Joseph Schmidt happened in October. NASA calls it a holoportation, cleverly combining the words hologram and transportation. Dr. Schmidt spoke with an astronaut as part of a 3D telemedicine visit. He says it's a, quote, brand new way of human exploration. (laughs) It's kind of cool. And a Kenyan entrepreneur has come up with a special formula to turn agricultural waste into organic fertilizer. 
Customers and scientists say it's more effective and kinder to the soil than inorganic alternatives. David Doyle has more. At a processing plant in central Kenya, Samuel Rigu's secret potion is being added to his organic fertilizer. He's coy about what goes into his Safi proprietary enhancement formula, but less shy about the results. What he's created is a way to turn agricultural waste into fertilizer that retails at less than half the price of its inorganic alternative. When we came to Moya uh, in 2013, uh, I told you I found mountains of rice husk. And these mountains were actually burned. So everywhere we would be having like smoke uh, going to the environment. Today we are converting that and putting it into the soil. What's more, his customers and scientists say the fertilizer is more effective and kinder to the soil. Tomato farmer David Arungu says it has reduced acidity. You know now. From what I see, my crops are growing well. And during harvest, my fruits are even bigger than before. At a lab in the capital Nairobi, soil samples have been tested. Soil scientist Lee Ann Vinaviecki says Rigu's type of fertilizer, biochar, has many benefits on top of the addition of nutrients. We know that soil that has more organic matter has better soil aggregation and is less prone to erosion. The Ukraine crisis has renewed global interest in organic fertilizer as the cost of chemical inputs skyrockets. Rigu says demand has spiked prompting him to double the size of his team. They work 18-hour days producing 35 to 45 tonnes of fertiliser per week. Double, he says, the output before the conflict started. Clever guys. As the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, cancel catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30pm Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.